Welcome to Ordinarily Extraordinary Conversations with Women in STEM. I'm your host, Kathy Nelson, an electrical engineer who loves to hear and share stories of other women in STEM. As I've talked about on my podcast previously, I am an electrical engineer who's worked in the utility industry for a number of years. And I always get excited when I get to sit down with women who work in the same industry as me. Today, I'm joined by Gretel Zwick. Gretel is a surveyor that specializes in underground utility locating. So in case you've ever wanted to know what is going on underneath the roads that you drive on and the roads that you walk on, Gretel tells us all about it. She has a bachelor's degree in construction management with an emphasis in surveying. She's really passionate about what she does, and she wants to be able to educate people on the work that surveyors do. I hope you enjoy Gretel's story. How are you doing? It's good to see you. Good. How are you? I am doing fine. How was your day? See, crazy. I'm working for a growing company at the moment, and I recently took over the CAD department, and I am hiring new staff. So training has been fun. How has that been like with COVID? Are you doing like like remote onboarding, or how does that work with your job? No, unfortunately, I wouldn't even know where to begin with remote onboarding. So we've been bringing in new staff into the office. We just take precautions, wiping down our desks and our our common spaces and then wearing masks in the office and uh, just having, you know, your own space and trying to stay six feet away from people and everything that's recommended. So, so far, so good. We um, haven't had any traumatic scares where some one event took out the whole office yet. So we're just uh, hanging in there. Are you are you out in the field more or are you in the office more? I'm in the office more. That happened about three, four years ago now. Um, when I first started with this company, I started as a survey technician. So all of my time was in the field. And an opportunity came where they needed a CAD tech and I took it and then I just kind of worked my way up to project manager. Now I'm a CAD manager. Do you like being in the office more? Or do you, did you like being out in the field? Do you miss being out in the field? I do miss being out in the field, but I get reminded of how nice it is to have a bathroom at my. Oh yes. (laughs) Bathrooms are definitely a plus. Oh yes, they are. I got creative. So I was, um, Definitely the field is where I wanted to be. And I never even dreamed of having an office job. But as I got older, <laughs> and <laughs> something inside me, I'm like, do I really want to be a leather 50 something out in the field, popping a squat in the woods? Or should I take this opportunity? So. Yeah. Plus, I'm also guessing that winters, I mean, granted, I know it's not Minnesota, but I mean, winters, it's always nice to have an office job too. Yeah. Yes. So actually, um, I love winter and I never thought that it would be, but winter was the only time I ever questioned why I was doing what I was doing. (laughs) Specifically, I was an I-man. I was um, behind the total station on a bridge shooting in a topo of a riverbank and it was a wind chill of like negative two and we were out there forever. I almost thought I was going to quit that day. 
I was like, I, there's no way I can continue. I am frozen to the bone, but I got through it and here I am today. <laughs> All right. Well, so let's talk about what you do. So what is your, what's your current job and what does a day in your life look like? All right. So my current job, I work for an Sue company, which is subsurface utility engineering. What I am currently doing is the CAD manager where I take in our field work and I produce maps. So what our product is to our clients is existing conditions so they can design whatever they need to, a new building, um, utilities going into that building from existing utilities. And sometimes we create, um, we'll have the field staff do a topographic survey. So we'll produce topographic maps. So pretty much existing conditions is our main go-to. And that would be like underground utilities. So electric, telephone, gas lines, is it all everything? Yep. So underground utilities would include anything that's underground. We've had people call us to locate um, tanks. In this new age, they can put anything underground. So they're putting electric lines underground. Fiber optics is our is a lot of our business. And that one's kind of hard for us because fiber optics is a glass tube which by itself is not locatable. So when they put fiber optics underground, they need to either wrap it in a metal sheathing or put a tracer wire with it. So how we locate utilities is actually by an electronic field that we put on it. So what our locating equipment does is we have a box that puts out a signal and we put it on the utility and it'll send a radio signal down to something that will conduct it and transfer it through the whole line until it dies out. And then the other piece of the equipment is a receiver that will pick up that tone and you can trace it out that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, okay. So it does to me because I work in the utility space and I'm a telecom engineer. And so I understand like the fiber and the tracer and, and, and the fact that you mm-hmm. need to find them. So when you are locating, so are you generally in like an urban area or are you in more rural areas? Are you both? Is it a mixture? What kind of an environment are you, or I should say, like, were you working in? And I guess probably more so when you were in the field. So we do anywhere. I have been in DC. I have been in the middle of a cornfield. And I've even gone as far as Djibouti, Africa for this job. Really? Yes. Okay. I want to come back to that because that sounds super interesting to me. Um, (laughs) So what does, okay. So I am, I I live in Minnesota. I work for a rural utility for most of my career. And so most of like the locates that I'm familiar with are ditches near substations, things like that. What does like a locating map look like in DC? Cause that seems kind of like, it's gotta be kind of messy. We actually, um, for this company that I'm working with now, we started working with an electric entity. We did a job to do 13 utilities coming down a road. So that's already a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It ended up being like 15 to 16 utilities. So we ended up losing a lot, but we learned a lot in that job. So 
if you can imagine just a regular road with two lanes of traffic, you know, one each way and then parking on each side and then townhomes, maybe just a city street and 15 different utilities running down that road. That's what we were dealing with in the middle of DC. So it was pretty crazy. And (laughs) so we color code all of our utilities and orange is for telecom, red is for electric. We use a a darker green for gas because yellow doesn't really show up that well. Uh, Blue is for water. So it just kind of looked like a rainbow, if you would, like just all these colors coming down the center of the street and crisscrossing with each other in intersections. So it was pretty cool. It was a good uh, opportunity to get into um, utilities. And then the other thing that we do is we do records research. So we'll go to the facility owner, the utility owner, and we'll ask them for any kind of record drawing that they have of their utility in our site. And we'll take that information compared to what we find in the field, make sure that we're not missing anything. And if we are, we will put those lines in per the record drawing. Okay. So you almost kind of like have like an as built when you're done with what you're locating. That's what we're trying for. Um, Underground utility locating isn't perfect. Of course, we don't have that magic x-ray machine yet, which everybody asks us for, but we do what we can. And with the techniques that we have, we feel that we do a pretty good job. Okay. So I now need to ask you to use witching sticks. And now I'm not sure if I even use like the right, is that the right term? Yes, that is. Which sticks? Yes. Okay. So So yeah, I want to, I want to hear about this because I, um, I've I've heard about them, but not probably from someone who actually like locates with them, just people who like try to. Exactly. Um, I've only met one person. I haven't been in this career as long as some have, but I've only met one person out in the field that I would say got maybe lucky using them, <laughs> uh, finding a water line. And it's something to do with, you know, the two little metal aluminum rods that he's holding in his hand and the currents. And yeah, I get it. It, it could work. What's the general philosophy behind them? So the general philosophy behind them would be that, so you, you would hold two metal sticks in your hand and they would bend at like a 90 degree angle. Like, so you would hold it and then when it it would bend and it would be parallel with the earth. And as you walk across the utility, they would turn into each other. And then that's where the utility would be. Like they turn in on their own. So it's it's supposed to be kind of like a magnetic pull or like a field pulling it or something. Exactly. Yeah. There was a guy that I used to work with that. um, I don't know if I want to say that he thought that he could use them because maybe he actually could. I don't really know. Hard to say. It's does seem a little bit like witchcraft to me. They think they're aptly named. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I mean, some people are magical though. I don't doubt that. Okay. So what does a current day in your life look like now? And what would a current day in your life when you were in the field look like? So a current day in my life now. So I would wake up and go to the office and I would select a project that has come in. I would take that information and I would process it. 
I would have the survey data that would have come in and I would take that and I would process it into a CAD map and I would compare that survey data to our field draft. So whenever our field guys are out locating utilities, they hand draft the utilities on a sheet of paper. So we compare that information. And then I take the record information that we've received and compare that to what the field guys have found and mesh that all together. And then I'll send it off to the project manager and they'll review it. And then eventually we will send it off to our client. (laughs) A day in the life in the field would be, I would get my assignment for the day. I would go to the site and I would go through my packet of information. It would include our records that we had received. And I would compare, you know, I would look through the records, I would look at the site and I would pick a place to start. And usually you want to start with something that would locate what we call locate easy. So electrics and telephones usually are buried shallower and they're more conductive for our equipment. So they'll pick up real easy. So we go ahead and mark those out and get those out of the way. So then when we come back and we're looking for something deeper, like a water line, we can rule out that it's not the electric because we already had that marked up. So sometimes a big thing that happens in this field is a mismark where somebody will come in and mark something and say, oh yeah, the water's over here, but it actually wasn't electric because that was more conductive. So the equipment picked that up and they don't compare it to anything or they're not double checking themselves. So mismarking is a big thing in this industry. When you have a mismarking, like what are the ramifications of that? So the ramifications can be anything from breaking a utility line to designing something, uh, designing a building around an area where you didn't think utilities were, but they ended up being there. So you would have the cost of redesign or repair. So it's a a pretty expensive thing to, A, not get your utilities marked before you start designing, and B, if you're mismarking things, that's a problem. So what we also do with my company is we um, do test pits where we dig a small hole straight down to the utility using air excavation, which is a big truck that sucks up dirt. It's a big vacuum. And we break up the dirt with compressed air. So you're not digging with like a backhoe or anything. And so we're safely digging down to the utility to make sure we are finding exactly what we think we're supposed to be finding. So if you're digging down to something and you find a cable when you thought you're supposed to be finding a 12-inch pipe, there's a big difference. So you should probably go back and re-investigate. So it's kind of like you figure out where you think they are and then you do a sample to see if you're accurate. Is that kind of what you're doing? Yes, that would be a correct way of saying that. So if you were to, so if your company were to mislocate things, are you responsible then for the additional costs or how does that work? Um, sometimes it depends on how uh, negligible we feel that we were, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of uh, CYA wording in our contracts, 
but there is also the um, big thing is it's, it's unknown. The underground world is unknown. There's um, so many different possibilities. If it was an unmarked abandoned utility that we had no idea was there, there's you know, no way for us to go back and find that record to, to get that information, to put it into our map, then we would say there's no way we could have found this without actually having x-ray vision. It's definitely uh, one of those, it depends. I have not met a woman who does this. How, what's your work life like from that standpoint? Like how many women do you work with um, both like in the office they do similar jobs to you and how many did you work with in the field? Like what that, what's that environment been like for you? So the office, a couple, my vice president or one of my vice presidents at the moment is a, is a woman and, and she's great. I have recently hired on a couple uh, female CAD technicians. Other than that, we are purely male dominated. So when you were in the field, were you the only woman? I was for quite a while. Did actually gain one more field tech as a woman and she trained under me for a while and she <laughs> she would tell me uh how I was her mentor and she was so grateful that somebody else had broken the ice before she got there and I just kind of remember thinking to myself yes you do <laughs> it wasn't easy <laughs> what was the environment like like in the field like where the guy like the guys that you worked with were they good did you have issues with them was there like a lot of skepticism I mean I know like one of the things and and I'm I'm an engineer I know like one of the engineers that I first went to work with was like you needed to prove yourself I mean he told me this like years later like I felt like you had to prove yourself more than you did if you were a guy and I'm thinking like really like I didn't tell me that like at the time, but is, I mean, is that kind of the environment? Was there anything that was like worse than that? Cause I know that they like, I especially in the field, I know things can actually be like much worse than just having to prove yourself more. Uh, yes, it was definitely an environment where I had to prove myself, which I had been ready for. I, of course I did went to a school and was used to this kind of mentality. Yeah, it was definitely a good old boys club kind of thing. They were not willing to accept me at face value. I felt like I had to work harder and smarter just to be included. And I was just determined. So it happened for me. And now every single one of them respects me more than a lot of other guys that work in the field. Um, And I've moved my way up into the project management role. So that speaks for itself. But yeah, I have actually a good friend that I work with right now. And um, he's, he's told me since he, he actually told our bosses not to hire me because I was a girl and I would create problems. And he regrets saying that he I've changed his mind, but those were his words when I was, they were thinking about hiring me. Yeah, that's what you always like to hear, right? Like, <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this podcast and Gretel's story. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support it, head over to your favorite podcast platform where you can rate it, or even better, write a review, which will help 
other people find my podcast and bring these women's stories to more listeners. You can also find me, Kathy Nelson, at www.ordinarily-extraordinary.com. Thanks, and back to Gretel's story. Like I mentioned, I am an electrical engineer in the utility space in telecom. Um, I've been in, I've been an engineer for almost 30 years. So like one, one of the things when I started and I worked with a lot of technicians, I mean, I was out, in the, I was out in the field. I was like the first woman engineer in the field at my company. And one of the things that I really struggled with, and I know, I mean, you're quite a bit younger than me. Um, but one of the things that I struggled with was like trying to fit in as one of the guys. And, and mm-hmm. I kind of like almost like changed my personality so that I would kind of be one of the guys. Did you have to go through something like that? Or were you like more able to just be like your, I, I like to call it authentic self. Were you able to be your authentic self? I wouldn't say my authentic self, but just from how I was raised and how I grew up, I was already kind of like a tomboy and I fit in with the boys crowd a little bit more so. So I definitely have a ton of girlfriends. Like it's not like I'm one of those women that say they have no girlfriends. I have a ton of girlfriends and and they're dear to me, but I did get along with men growing up my whole life. So I felt that it was easier and I could sometimes speak their language because it's a totally different language. That's probably part of the secret to my success because there is a, a, a big hazing period in the beginning of my field career. And without being able to talk to them on their level, I feel like I probably wouldn't have made it. Okay. Now I have another question because um, one of the things that I have found and this was actually, so my husband also works in the utility industry and I was at, I was at a party with him at like one of his coworkers house. So it's like a bunch of linemen and their wives and their wives are all upstairs. And this like, just like drove, drove me nuts to start with anyway, but their wives are all upstairs talking about stuff and I'm with them. And all I'm thinking is like, I fit in way more with the linemen <laughs> than I do with their wives. <laughs> is that kind of similar to kind of like what your, like yes. your environment has been? 100%. I couldn't say that. I've, I've been to, um, you know, work parties or we, we have gatherings and their wives are, will come or there'll be other female influence. And I have, I feel like I have nothing in, in common. And I, I do tend to stay on maybe the male dominated conversation, which is weird. And, and I have noticed it and I don't know why it is that way. I feel tangent. I do have some uh, female colleagues throughout, I guess, the survey world. And I really enjoy talking to them because I can talk shop and we can talk girl. Like it's, it's a mixture of both. Yeah. And no, that's I, really nice. thousand percent get that too. Yeah. But it's few and far between. So I actually started getting this networking through getting involved with the Young Surveyors Network, which is our NSPS, which is National Society of Professional Surveyors, has a chapter or a um, committee that's set up for young surveyors. And I started getting involved with them and and meeting all these people. So they're all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we meet 
through social media or Zoom calls or we have meetings and um, it's just nice to hear from people that have real relatable experience. So I'm just, especially on the woman's side, because there's a lot of people out there that have had the same experiences as me. So I know I'm not the only one. Yeah, I I'll completely agree with that. And I will say that has been, um, you know, like the longer I've been in the field, I mean, there's starting to be some more women, but building that network of women that you, that do have those common experiences with is really interesting. I, I was on a board of a trade association for a number of years and there ended up with being a group of us at, at one of our conferences that went out for dinner and it was all women at the table. And I'm like, oh my God, like this never happens like ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, th- like I said, I've, I've been in the industry for like 30 years and one oh dinner God. that's been all women. And we were like, this is so strange and so nice. Um, but it was also like people like all over, you know, from all over the country, right. It's not because it's at a conference. So it's not like it's, you know, a small, you know, a small segment of things, but yeah, it it is really nice when you can find that community, you can find people who understand your experiences and, um, and, and honestly, that's one of the things, not necessarily what I started to do when I set out to do the podcast, but one of the things that I have found to be really something that everyone needs and not everyone has is a community and, you know, helping to build that community so that people don't feel alone, especially like when you start out in a job and you are the only woman or one of the only women, it's really, really hard. And I think some, I mean, it's, I think it's very easy to get discouraged and say like, this is not the right fit for me. Whereas, um, you know, if you can find a community and find people that you can talk to and say, here's what I'm going through. How did you handle this? It makes a world of difference because you don't feel alone. 100%. Yes. I actually started, I felt like I was starting towards a career and not just a job when I reached out and I went to our local um, surveying chapters through Maryland Society of Surveyors. And I just started talking now. Yes, at that, I was the only girl. And, but everybody was super nice and super accepting and just like, they're going through a whole change where they know that the older generation is, is, um, starting to retire. And that's why there's this whole young surveyors movement. They need to start bringing in the younger generation and then a more diverse generation as well. So when I showed up, Everybody is like, oh my gosh, why, why are you here? You need to stay here. You need to get involved. And it made me feel important and wanted. So it gave me the motivation to keep going on this path. And that's actually why I'm here talking to you today. Cause I had a contact with, um, I'm also on the committee of the diversity committee of NSPS and one of our group members got us in contact with each other and then he, we met up. So that's why I'm here telling my story because of how all of this networking and connections and your community really helps you just start thriving. I just, every time I go to a meeting and, and hear new ideas, I get energized and it's, it's really great. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, hearing people's different experiences and their passion for what they do. I think it's so 
interesting and it brings like at least for me like hearing people's stories and stuff it brings so much more vitality even to like my own career and my own job and and I like I learned about jobs that I didn't even know existed and there's just there's so many amazing women out there to talk with and to you know find community with even if you're not in the same field we still go through a lot of the same things being in these very male dominated careers yeah i agree I agree. Everybody has a similar story or something that you can relate to. And it's just nice to know after going through something like that, you're not the only one. Yeah, absolutely. How did you end up um, going down the path of becoming a surveyor or underground locator? I'm not sure. What do I call you? Surveyor, underground locator? Like, what are you? Um, So where I started off was in the field of surveying, land surveying. I got that start because in high school or grade school, I was very much more into math and science. Um, I really was terrible at English. I knew I wanted (laughs) nothing to do with that. (laughs) So I applied for a community college uh, close to where I lived, um, Cincinnati State Technical and Community College. And they had a construction management program, which is what I was going to go into. But then I sat and I talked with an advisor and I was explaining, you know, this is why I was thinking that I'm good at math. And I just wanted to work with my hands and I didn't ever think of having an office job. So they actually steered me into their surveying uh, degree. So I stuck with that and it just fit. It was (laughs) like a match made in heaven, I guess, if you will. After community college, I went on to our it's not really a sister university, but they adopted our curriculum. So I could just continue my bachelor's through their university. If it was um, a very specific degree or um, curriculum that you had to be set up in. So they pretty much transferred all my credits over to the university so I could just continue and get a bachelor's. So my bachelor's is actually called bachelor's of science in construction management with a surveying emphasis. What about like, so when you were young, like what kinds of things you had mentioned that you were a tomboy and you, you know, kind of like were more comfortable with boys and stuff. What, what else were you like, like in as a kid and what kind of influences did you have to make you go down the route that you did? So I grew up with a lot of boy cousins and uh, my younger brother. So there was just a lot of boys around my age uh, and my family was really close. So we always got together and we were doing things. So I always wanted to just play and there was nobody to play with, but boys. So that's what I did. And then uh, I got into sports and I grew up in a smaller town. So when I, my parents signed me up for soccer, it was a quote co-ed soccer league that I was the only girl on. Mm-hmm. So that, so uh, I played soccer with boys probably all the way up through high school. And I remember 
my dad has been in construction. He used to work for a general contractor and then he started working for the county as an inspector uh, when I was very young. And I remember him taking us on job sites and I just, I loved playing in the mounds of dirt, <laughs> just running around. Uh, trips with my dad were probably the biggest influence on why I chose this field. Um, but growing up with boys probably made me ready for this field. Okay. So you talked about Africa. How did you end up going to Africa? All right. That was, that was fun. We got a, a prime called us up one day on my company, not me, but they were looking for a service that we provide locating underground utilities on a army base. Uh, in Djibouti, Africa, because the base Where's was Djibouti, Africa. Where is Djibouti Africa is on the Horn. It's on the east side of Africa, uh, close to Saudi Arabia. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it's a very big base because it's a strategic position, and they were growing rather rapidly and they had just willy-nilly put lines in the ground and had no idea where they were and there had been some issues with uh, actually a couple deaths in this situation not necessarily at the Djibouti base but um, at other bases they've had issues where you know contractors were just digging up and trying to build something and they would hit a power line and boom. Yeah. So they were learning their lesson and they called us in and we mapped out the entire base for them to upgrade their electrical grid and to build. I volunteered. Uh, There was a lot of discussion about sending me because I was a female but I had a couple of coworkers vouch for me and, you know, said that they would be, I guess, a chaperone and make sure nothing happened to me, um, which I'm grateful for because I got to go over there and have that experience. It is unlike no other. It's, it's really crazy. When we landed at Djibouti and we were flying over and I, it hit me that we were in a third world country. And I had no idea what I was getting into. Fortunately, we were safe. We worked on the base every day. So there wasn't any major threats or anything that I had to deal with, but it was definitely a a different experience. And I'm glad I got to do it. Like when you say like major threats, like what kinds of threats? Scarily enough, a week after we got back home, after the project was done, there was actually a suicide bomber that went into their main market square and killed three people. So those kind of threats. (laughs) Okay. I was, I was actually just kind of curious if there were threats because you were female, if like, if there were anything specific around that, or if it was more of just like just the unrest in the area and all of it, all of it, it was, it's, it's, um, they're, they're, it's a Muslim country. Um, it wasn't as uh, strict as Saudi Arabia. The women were, I don't 
know if this is the right term, but I guess progressive. They did have their head wraps and everything, but they were all colorful and they weren't covering their face. Um, you know, some were long pants and they were just bright and vibrant. They were beautiful, but it was definitely still a third world country. Did you have to wear, and I can't, I can't think of it. I have to look up what they're called too, but did you have to wear a scarf when you were there? Nope. No, I was told by um, some people that we worked with from the uh, the company that hired us, our prime. They do a lot of traveling work like this, and this was our first time. So they were giving us all the, the downloads and the good experience. But uh, I was told if we would have had this job like in Saudi Arabia, that would have been a must. If I, if I personally, a woman, were to go there and work there, I would have had to adopt their culture in Djibouti. That was not the fact. So I got to do my own thing. I, it's actually, um, a vacation spot for, for some people. Uh, so there was a lot of foreigners that would come just from all over because it is right on the ocean and, um, there's some whale watching and stuff that goes on. Yeah. I could do whatever, not whatever I wanted, I guess, but I could dress how I would normally, I wore shorts. I, you know, wore my hair down. I, I didn't have to accommodate their culture. Did you get to do anything fun when you were there or was it just like strictly work and then you had to go back? (laughs) No, there was some fun times. There was uh, a trip that we, like I brought up the whales. There was a trip that we went on whale watching. It was, um, I think sperm whales. They were babies and a boat took you out and you could swim with the sperm whales. I did not get in the water. (laughs) Okay. They were big even for babies. The other trip that was, uh, we took was to Lake Assal, which is a really big salt lake. It's the lowest point in Africa, I believe, if I remember correctly. It's, it's so all of the water collects there and it's just a big salt lake. So like in Utah, we have salt lake. Uh, so Lake Assal, (laughs) I think it's probably, probably means salt. That would make sense. Yeah. So that was a neat trip. And then their marketplace was, was interesting. So in Djibouti, there are three main languages is they would grow up and they would learn Arabic. If they were any kind of educated, they would learn French next. And then if they got higher education, they would learn, they would start to learn English. So not many people spoke a lot of English, but they could see us as obviously Americans or uh, Westerners. So we would get approached a lot um, to buy things. And some kids <clears throat> would try to sell cigarettes to you or uh, for water. It was very interesting. It sounds like a fabulous experience. I've, I've been to South Africa. That's about the only, that's the only part of Africa I've been to, but I, I absolutely loved it. And I want to see more of Africa, but not anytime soon, I guess. No, we're still waiting. We're still waiting on that. What are you most proud of in your career so far? I'm just proud that I stuck with it and made a career out of it. Honestly, I just, I see exponential opportunities in my future and I never thought I would be in a position to just keep growing. Like I just kind of assumed I would get a job and it would be day in day out. And I feel like my job's never 
quite the same and it's always putting a puzzle together and I'm in love with it, I guess. So it's, it's exciting for me to go to work. So I guess that's what I'm proud of. I found a job that I'm excited to go do. That's awesome. And I would guess with your job, you literally are putting pieces of a puzzle together, like (laughs) very literally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you want to do in the future? So I am still um, studying for my licensing. So I'm not a licensed surveyor yet. I'm still studying for that. And I hope in the near future that that happens. And I just, honestly, I, I, I think I could maybe take this into like awareness. So not a whole lot of America knows what underground utility location is about. And very true. Also, there's so many possibilities in land surveying now, like you have LIDAR, drone, scanning. There's so many things that just the general public doesn't know about. And I really just feel like I want to share. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 What kind of advice would you give to a girl or young woman thinking about going into STEM or going into surveying? Do you have any advice that you would offer? Yes. Stay strong and find a mentor. Even though I know we're trying to make the world a nicer place to live, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, So thick skin is definitely um, a requirement for the job for not even females. I mean, it really is a requirement for males too. There you go through a lot in surveying, but it's fun and it's rewarding. But a mentor, somebody that is willing to explain to you all of your, what you think is stupid questions is really nice. Somebody in your back corner. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like, I've found the older I've gotten the I actually have, I have more mentors. Like I have an internal mentor. I have an external mentor. I have female mentors. I have male mentors and really just having like a wide variety of, I mean, I shouldn't say a wide variety because you don't want like, I mean, I have strategically, I have strategic mentors. So it's not like I have a ton of them. I just made it sound like I did, but it's important to have people who have different perspectives because they're going to bring different value to you at different places in your career too. I like that. Definitely. I can agree with that 100%. So multi, multi mentors, that would be another thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they change too. I mean, I mean, some might stay the same and then, you know, some might come and go depending on where you are in your career too. Right. Well, I am really glad that I got a chance to talk to you. This has been really fun. Um, and I got to learn more about a part of my own industry. So that's actually like really fun. (laughs) This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad I got to maybe educate you some more. And if you are ever curious about anything underground related, you can just, you, you have my contact information now so you can give me a call and I can try to explain it to you. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and I look forward to keeping in touch. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure getting to know you, Kathy. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Ordinarily Extraordinary Conversations with Women in STEM. You can find a list of definitions, acronyms, and a fact check in the episode notes. If you like this podcast, please like it and tell your friends. And please join me for future episodes. Thank you. Thank you.